Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. And we have a new co-host on the show. That's right. Welcome to the first time for the first time to Sawbones, Cooper McElroy. Our plan is that she will be a, a silent, silent third co-host, yeah. but that may not work out. Yes, but we will do our best <laughs> to limit the amount of... Um, I, I, contribution because she doesn't know anything. That's the thing. She'll just start bloviating, and it's like uh, you don't know what you're talking about. You've only been outside four times. But she really fancies herself an expert. That's the problem. Know? That's the that's the thing. That's the problem. that confidence. She has all the confidence. Yes. Of Justin, mm-hmm. but none of the knowledge of Sydney. So she's you. So she, I guess she's. I guess me. she's just you. She poops her pants more. <laughs> Okay, well, uh, that has nothing to do with what we're going to talk about this week. No, but we, we just thought, thought we should warn you. Yeah. Um, Justin, I thought we should talk about ambulances. I got no other <laughs> lead in than that. Yeah, well, it's a, you know, it's a part where we've, we've talked about a lot of parts of the medical experience. You get sick at home. Mm-hmm. You go to the hospital, get treated. What's in between there? What are you skipping? Well, and... The thing is, we've had a lot of people request this. And then the other thing is, I started to wonder, when did we decide, you know, there was a moment where there were house calls that doctors made. But when did we start taking sick people to doctors? When did, I guess the question is, when did you get too lazy to go to people's houses? (laughs) That's really what it is. That's really what it is. Although you do that sometimes, right? All right, so now we're back. If you, there was a brief moment there where our, you probably heard our daughter pooped her pants, and I left it in there just to let you know sort of what our day today is like. The, the sound, not the poop. The no, poop we did not leave. In no, there. we did not leave in there. Uh, so you were saying, Sid, I'm so uh, sorry you, to have interrupted. You asked me, do I do home visits? Yes, I have done home visits. I do that on occasion. But the, I think the difference is uh, home visits used to be. In part because, and we'll get into this more, the stuff that a doctor could bring to your house was like not necessarily any any less effective or helpful than the stuff they had in the hospital because mm-hmm. there wasn't a lot of stuff. Yeah, you know what I mean. There's not yeah. a lot. There weren't a lot of interventions that could be done. So what's the difference? You didn't lose anything by having the doctor come to your house. Right now, obviously, there's a lot more that can be done for you in a hospital. Right. So let's get into the history of ambulances and thank okay. you, Eric, Richard, Ruth. And Sarah for mentioning this. And I should go ahead and preface a lot of other people have asked for the history of EMTs and, you know, EMS workers. Um, 
that's a whole other story and i we will do an episode on that but i'm not going to get into that because there's just that's that's a whole story unto itself okay so just a, just a preface i'm not ignoring that history i just think you know it's a whole other episode all right got it so we have had some sort of medical transport device since ancient times since the first time somebody got injured or wounded it usually on the battlefield would be the first good example of that and everybody went whoa how do we get them out of here right we want them we've got other things to do yeah, we can't we have them lying them, around we bleeding get them out of here somebody had to come up with something so the greeks and the romans would use chariots you know if you managed to survive or if you were wounded or injured or something in another accident not mm-hmm. not battle um in 900 ce wagons with hammocks between them were introduced that is terrifying yes it was not great because as you can imagine taking a big curve or going downhill and they would have to go the same speed, I guess. Yeah. So this was a bad solution. That's a bad solution. Yes. This... Wow, that's uh, like that's spectacularly <laughs> bad. It's weird how you see these kinds of devices that like, well, I mean, obviously just tossing somebody in, in a chariot that was really made for sitting or standing and then laying down is not really what it's for, but you could repurpose it. But like turning that's it into still a, better than, than turning this. it into a stunt, turning yeah. it into an evil Knievel style. <laughs> death death tempter they just really wanted you to earn it so like you've survived your battlefield wound now can you survive the transport back Um, we don't have any real medicine to give you anyway so spoiler alert um in 1100 the normans introduced the horse litter which was just a bed suspended between two horses so norman lear norman Reedus got together (laughs) and they were like listen this is we've been doing this so poorly (laughs) well i don't know that it's too much better it's between a bed two horses between two horses than between two wagons. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it might be a little easier, more manageable to keep two horses mm-hmm. in pace. That'd be a rocky ride. Yeah. Be very bouncy, I mm-hmm. would think. Um, in the 1400s, we see the first concept of what we think of as like, of where the word ambulance came from. Mm-hmm. Now, these weren't actually vehicles or modes of transport necessarily. An ambulance or an ambulant, ambulancia ambulancia mm-hmm. was it, they were basically like tents with surgical and medical supplies in them okay almost kind of like a like a mash kind of oh, thing right so it wasn't actually a mobile um i mean you could move it but it wasn't a, it wasn't for moving people it was it like a transport it no was it was not a transport portable. but that's was the first use of the term ambulance okay um that's where it is derived from now uh they were first used in 1487 during the siege of malaga in spain um, but they they had these like tents closer so that you had like medical equipment. Basically, it was just a way of getting medical equipment closer to the wounded people mm-hmm. as opposed to far away. But they didn't actually move any of the wounded until after the battle was over. So it's kind of a question of if you're bringing the hospital to the patient or bringing the patient to the hospital. And right. More of the former. And, the, and this, was, this was sort of like an in-between measure because the. It wasn't, you didn't bring the medical care all the way to the patient. The patient still had to make their way to the tent. Right. And there was no defined method for doing that at the time. Um, so, and, and they didn't wait, they didn't do it till the battle was over, which, you know, like if a battle could go on for days. Yeah. You better hope you were wounded the last day. <laughs> um, some big improvements were made with the French surgeon, Dominique Jean Loret. We've talked about him before. He was Napoleon's doctor. Okay. Uh, and he saw that 
there was an opportunity to probably save more lives on the battlefield. And a lot of this is military history, because as you can imagine, that's where the urgent need for ambulances and some sort of medical transport first arose. Right. You know, um, but he saw that uh, there were people on the battlefield who would be wounded. And if you could get the medical care faster, probably would survive. But as a result of having no defined method to transfer them from the battlefield or to bring medical care to them, people were dying. Okay. And so he thought we could improve survival if we could get these people who are wounded off the battlefield and to doctors faster. Agreed. So he developed these little carts with two wheels that were light and easy to transport on and off the battlefield quickly. And you could run them out there, load up a patient and run them back off the battlefield. So like a wheelbarrow. <laughs> I, I mean, basically like a made wheelbarrow. a wheelbarrow. <laughs> I mean, they could also be pulled by horses. Right. Or Lots mules of or can. camels, sure. depending on where yeah, you are. Anything were. that pulls stuff, it's still a wheelbarrow. <laughs> um, you could also bring uh, the surgeons to the wounded this way. Okay. So you could say, hop on, Get doc. on board. Oh, man. Well, do you all do that with the helicopter? Is that do the helicopters bring the doctor to this patient or they bring there are, to the doctor? There there are both. Okay. Both can happen. And in transport, there's always whether or not there's an actual physician, there's always somebody like there are transport nurses whose mm-hmm. job it is just to like stabilize and provide medical care for patients in flight. Okay. Um, they're flight nurses, we often will refer to them. Um, and then they're obviously Sky nurses like, would be cooler if you're that, looking for a cooler one. That would be cool. Uh, and and also EMTs obviously provide the service. So there are a lot of medical personnel that aren't physicians who can provide this care. And and I think I've said this before on the show, but I should reinforce. It's not because, well, you're in an, an ambulance or a helicopter, so we're not going to give you a doctor. A lot of the time, the things you might need in that sort of emergent situation EMTs and people who are trained specifically like like flight nurses, transport nurses and things mm-hmm. are specifically like that is what they do all day is stabilize emergent like trauma patients and people who are outside of the hospital, pre-hospital patients. They do that constantly. They're really good at it. So if, when you, when you don't people... need me in that situation. I mean, I, I manage blood pressure and diabetes most of my day. You don't want me. You want the EMT. You want you, that transport. When person. people are like, is there a doctor in the house? Should they be asking for an EMT? If there's an EMT, a lot of time they're going to be probably better suited I mean, if, if there's some sort of intense diagnostic process, I don't want to short sell what we can do as doctors. Like, I can I can assess people. And I have some training in global health and wilderness medicine, so I'm probably a little better suited than the average bear. But right. that being said, if I see a car crash on the side of the road and EMTs are there, they don't need me. All I'll do is interfere. I'm not pulling if over. I see, if I see a bear there, <laughs> I'm going to tell them that is unacceptable. That they, is just not, it's just not cricket. They they were they do this kind of stuff all the time. They're more suitable. Bears? No, <laughs> not bears. Okay. If there's a bear there, I'm probably not an average stop. bear. Situational awareness. If there's a bear there, I am not safe. How can I help stabilize the patient? Thank you. Yes. So anyway, uh, these were called flying ambulances, by the way. Okay. These carts, these wheelbarrows. Okay. That would either bring you a doctor or bring you to a doctor. Good. Um, uh, you would be protected, of course, if you did stop by the Good Samaritan Law. Really? Do you feel better now? No. Um, At the start of the American Civil War, 
our situation for wounded on the battlefield was still not great. Like we had had these developments throughout history of like methods or, or the, even the concept. The, the wheelbarrow isn't really the key development here. It's the idea that you should remove wounded from the battlefield mm -hmm. as quickly as possible. That was the concept that was revolutionary and, well, there and had saved to be, lives. At, at a, for most of history, there had to be a certain fatalism here that like, why? 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 Like it's prob like right. It's we low can't do much because you're probably going to get gangrene. You're probably going to get an infection. You're probably going to die. And we want to focus on the soldiers who are well and able to whatever wounds they may have sustained. They're able to easily return from the battlefield. Right. Those are the ones we want to focus on, as opposed to put a lot of time and energy into people when we don't know how to fix them anyway. And at the beginning of the Civil War, that's kind of the attitude you see. This is. When I read this, it made sense, I guess, as I think about it. But then I thought, like, by today's standards, this is crazy. Wounded were left on the battlefield. Mm -hmm. If you were injured and you couldn't leave, you were left there. That's rough. That's a rough yeah, way to that's wind a terrible, down. Right. That's a terrible thought. But they didn't, they didn't really have a good mechanism for removing people. Um, they would assign certain people in the unit to go collect the wounded. But they were usually either, like, the company musicians... <laughs> <laughs> okay or like soldiers that were thought of as like weak or not as you know like well we don't they don't really do much so we'll just give them this job and a lot of the time the people who were assigned this job wouldn't do it because they were running into the line of fire right and putting their lives in danger i, I signed up to play fife exactly that's i mean that's like the the drummer or the fife player and like you're telling that like they I'm don't even have a gun and I'm you're telling them to run out there and my fife like I got I'm great at fife <laughs> so you don't want to lose that so they weren't this wasn't always performed and so a lot of people were just wounded and left on the battlefield unless they could get themselves off unless they could crawl back or or somehow you know get themselves off the battlefield um, after the battle of Bull Run some soldiers walked 27 miles from the battlefield to Washington to receive treatment Jeez, the, the lucky ones who were well enough to do so mm -hmm. um, Dr. Jonathan Letterman was the first one to revolutionize this system in 1862 with a really simple idea. Why don't we assign soldiers to be what kind of would be considered medics? Mm -hmm. They weren't called that necessarily, but here's some basic things you can do in the field to stabilize people. Your job is a stretcher bearer. Your job is just to walk out with these soldiers, put people on stretchers and carry them back. And then he also helped to establish Again, these sort of hospital-like units up at the front where you could get these patients too quickly, stabilize them, and then hopefully by an ambulance train or boat, you could transfer them to transfer them to a bigger, you know, medical center, if that made sense. So this was like the beginnings of what we see echoed in, you know, war situations today. Mm -hmm. um, in 1864, Congress passed the Ambulance Corps Act. This was also called an act to establish a uniform system of ambulances in the armies of the U.S. So this was just kind of codifying what Letterman had already started doing, which was we need ambulances. We need ways to transport wounded off the battlefield routinely. Mm -hmm. We need a system for this. Um, this is going to save lives. And we need places for them to go initially to be stabilized and then bigger hospitals for them to go to after that. And at this point, all these ambulances fell under military jurisdiction, basically. Mm-hmm. So this this was the beginning of the ambulance. It was just a military vehicle. Okay. Um, and right now we're still War, talking about like... War, what is it like, good for? Apparently ambulances. A lot of medical advances, yeah. as we have, we have talked about. Um, so 
after the Civil War, you had this concept of some sort of transport vehicle to take wounded or sick people to a hospital. Um, But it had been under, you know, government military jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. So there were a lot of hospitals who were like, this is probably a good service to have in general. Mm -hmm. I would like to keep this. Um, And so this started actually at what is now Cincinnati General was the first place to have a uh, an ambulance, a private ambulance that would go pick you up and take you there. Mm -hmm. Um, And this this was to replace exactly what I talked about. The doctor who showed up at your house to make a house call with just their, you know, their black bag, the classic doctor, a little black bag thing, which would have have had all the tools available to them in the day prior to. By now in history, we have a lot more things we can do for people, a lot more medicines we can give and reasons to go to the hospital. Um, this was quickly followed by in New York. They had a really big this. This was probably the biggest ambulance system at the time. Edward B. Dalton, who had been an army surgeon. Like the bookseller? B. Dalton know. bookseller? That's a book. That's a chain. Probably not. Probably a different cat. I have no idea. Maybe they're related. I don't know. I don't know. We can look into that. Those Justin may, can Google that. Those may not. Justin will Google it. Go ahead, Sid. Um, but he started uh, an ambulance service at Bellevue. And so in uh, it started in 1869 and very, very quickly increased to a lot of calls, a lot of uh, services being provided. Um, the other hospitals in New York also started providing ambulance service. So New York kind of led the led the mm-hmm. trail on this. Um, they would at the time assign doctors or surgeons to the ambulances to go with them. Mm-hmm. So at the time you did, you asked me, did doctors go out with it? Well, they did at the time. Um, and the, the vehicles had like stretchers, they had handcuffs and straight jackets. Cause a lot of the early patients were psychiatric patients that people would call and say, help. I have someone with a psychiatric illness. I'm worried that they're a threat to themselves or to somebody else. And I don't mm-hmm. know what to do. And so that was a lot of the early ambulance calls. Um, um, I have an update on B. Dalton Bookseller. Uh, okay. It was founded by a man named Bruce Dayton. Uh-huh. Who just changed the Y to an L because it connotated, the name B. Dalton connotated quality, dependability, and authority. I wonder if that's- <laughs> He just changed it. I wonder if that's because of the ambulance guy. May, I, probably may, not. Probably, probably not. not. That would be quite a pull, honestly. That's a, well- does Dalton is Dalton more dependable than Dayton? Apparently, yeah. B Dayton is nothing. B Dalton, ooh, ooh. dependable. <laughs> Tell that to everybody Quality. who lives in Dayton. They would they would disagree with you. True. So in the ambulance, in addition to the doctor, I thought it'd be interesting to know like what would you have had if you had gotten an ambulance to your house in the 1890s? In addition to a doctor or surgeon, you and maybe a straitjacket and some handcuffs. You have a box with brandy, two tourniquets, six bandages, sponges, sponges, splint material, and a small bottle of persulfate of iron. Hmm. And uh, basically, that that was that's what they brought to you. And you would have um, a driver who earned about five hundred dollars a year for doing this. Nice. Yeah. Or not. I actually have no idea. Um, and they even had like special harnesses that were easy to attach the horses to the vehicles because these were still horse drawn at the time mm-hmm. um, very quickly. So you could get a call and instantly harness your horse to the carriage and go. Um, and then you also like if you were an ambulance driver, you got room and board because you needed to be there all the time. Sure. Uh, the the doctors who were initially assigned this job didn't like it because you didn't make a lot of money. So they started filling the job by making residents who were still in still in training do this as a rotation so they had to do this for six months 
before they completed their training falling in the grand tradition of misusing resident labor exactly exactly we can't we can't have doctors do it so we'll force doctor well they're doctors we'll force doctors in training training. you know what i mean we can't have attendings do it so we'll we'll force residents to do it because we don't want to do it but um the 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 schedule and the salary offered although this sounds like exactly like a resident situation so you got fifty dollars a month you did 12 hour shifts and you got one day off every four weeks yikes so um that's all the residents would get that's that's, yeah that's rough and this this by the way it in this continued as late as 1935 in some places (laughs) uh they were still getting like 50 bucks a month in 1935 the same salary they were getting in like 1869 that's ludicrous yeah if you can believe that now Sid, i love i love uh horses as much as the next guy who does a podcast that's largely about horses um (laughs) but i want to hear about the the motorized ones like the ones we have today well we're gonna get into that justin but first let's head to the billing department let's go Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McRoy fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McRoy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts, and that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed, but we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat delicious meals right to your door, and not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got, like, fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From, from, from a, a box? Pre-prepared, all I got in two minutes, I'm eating filet mignon. That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat, there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. 
get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, and the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. So you were going to tell me about horseless ambulances, Sydney. <laughs> That's right. So the f- Which is a wild distinction if you think about it. We don't really think about horseless there's lots of things that are horseless, really. <laughs> yeah. What, Sad what as else, that may be. What else, Justin? What else is ho- Do you want to make a list of horseless things? Well, okay. Um, my computer is kind of a horseless adding machine. <laughs> That's true. Is that what you use your computer for, adding? It's a horseless adding machine. Mm-hmm. My, our coffee maker is a horseless coffee maker. The there shower are, The shower is a horseless shower. It's a horseless shower, if you can believe it. It would be less effective if there was a horse in it. Friends, start throwing horseless <laughs> on to the beginning of objects that don't have horses involved and see if they don't sound pretty impressive. And then see what your friends think of that, too. Yeah. Go ahead and uh, use the horseless speaking device in front of you, Sydney, and continue. So the first horseless ambulance was introduced actually in Chicago in 1899. And it's funny because like New York got it like the year after. Oh. All this talk about like New York and Dalton and Bellevue and everything. And then they were a year late. Uh, this became the norm. And again, a lot of the use was was military still. So throughout World War One. A lot of different cars were tried, like Model T ambulances and different things. Like they were expanding as the as the vehicle, as the automobile developed. So too did the ambulance. Um, that there was a thought this far back that you know maybe actually even before I should say before World War One, there was a thought as far back as 1870 that air transport might be better as an ambulance than ground transport mm, i'm not so sure about that so and the but well, what were they using back then it's 1870 what what kind of zeppelins hot air balloons okay oh i wasn't that far a, off that's a, fun a dutchman named Des Moines uh came up with the idea of a hot air balloon you would suspend a giant stretcher under the balloon and then to move it in the right direction horses would pull it and then you could get them evacuated faster this actually was used um he got the idea during the siege of paris and after that 160 french soldiers and citizens were transported this way in 1870 just because you're hurt doesn't mean you can't have a little fun whimsy (laughs) so air air transport was used surprisingly early um in world war one airplanes were also introduced so you actually had like flying like real flying ambulances services at Mm -hmm. that point um, we didn't see helicopters come along until war- World War II. And classically, I think all of us are giant MASH fans, right? Sure, of course. And so we know that helicopters were kind of the mainstay for a lot of quick air evacuations of wounded, you mm-hmm. know, once they were developed uh, in Korea and in uh, Vietnam as well. Um, the use of ambulances by civilians was not really uh, regulated and expanded until the late 60s and 70s. That's kind of a new idea, huh? Yeah, that recently. Um, because they really didn't have like a a way, a standardization of it until then. The military had their methods, but as far as in civilian use, you know, for, for your communities, who was in charge of this service? Who ran it? Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't yet have the concept of an EMT. So, mm. you know... What were what were the ambulances for? It was just a car that took you to the hospital. Right. Um, and so it could be run by your local police department. It could be run by your local fire department. And whoever ran it would also staff it. 
so you would have a police officer staffing the ambulance as well. Wow. So as you could imagine, they couldn't provide a lot of medical care. Right. Really. Um, for a while, communities that could not afford ambulance services relied on the local funeral home. Oh, well, that's convenient because if it doesn't pan out, you're already in there. Exactly. Oh, God. I mean, I didn't mean to be <laughs> ghoulish. Ugh. The, so this you might wonder, like, how in the world? And this was this was very common. This is not like just a couple little places. There were a lot of places. And this happened all the way up until like the 70s in some very small isolated communities where the local funeral home would be who you would call if you had an emergency and needed transport to the hospital. There are probably people listening to this podcast who still remember this. Um, the reason is an ambulance had to be big enough to accommodate a person lying down. In most communities, what is the only place that has vehicles built to accommodate someone lying down? Ice cream trucks. Do you often lie down in an ice cream truck? Uh, you could, is what I'm saying. Right, but it's not made for that, you know? Sure. Okay, fine. The way a hearse is kind of made, made to accommodate a that. person who is permanently lying down got it right um so anyway the hearse was a good fit so funeral directors would offer ambulance services and if you think about it this was a good gimmick for them because you don't commonly have like on your refrigerator on a list of important numbers like nobody does that anymore but we used to have like a list of emergency numbers on your refrigerator mm -hmm. you wouldn't usually have a funeral home right right that seems a little depressing but if but if the they ambulance. were the ambulance then you certainly would and mm -hmm. so it was a great gimmick for funeral directors um, to community engagement, you mm. became relied on, you became valued members of the community and not just like that thing you don't want to think about. Yeah. Like decreepify yeah. the whole thing a little bit. Exactly. And, um, they, they should they, do that. Again, they should do if, something again to get back in the game <laughs> with maybe like also cotton candy. Like the, also we do sell cotton candy. <laughs> I don't. I don't, and batteries. Seems... A lot of times I need batteries and it would just be super <laughs> convenient if there's a place that I could go, go get cotton candy and batteries and something else sometime at one point for yeah. other people to but not me ever. And um that would be convenient. They they were they were actually kind of reluctant to give up this because of the the good kind of the good feelings that it generated in the community. Um and uh, and like you said, if things didn't work out in transport they would just take you straight to the funeral home so they got your business. You think there's any unscrupulous ones like kind of the long way around? Maybe, oh no, I'm stuck in traffic. <laughs> no, oh, no, no, there weren't that, but like you, there was like I there was a lot dry of dry cleaning. I got into this deep hole where I was reading about unscrupulous funeral home practices at the time, like back in like the mid 1900s mm. and things. And anyway, so the the thing is though, it, it the Interstate Commerce Commission started regulating how ambulance drivers like. How they they were they started treating them like long haul truckers. Mm. It's certain hours that they could work and they had to be off, and they had standards for um, like the the rest in between shifts and how well they were paid and all these different things. And that was very cumbersome for funeral homes who were kind of just using like friends. Like once your kid was old enough to drive, let them be the the hearse ambulance driver. Yeah, like they they weren't really standardizing this. Mm. They were just kind of doing it as a as like a nice thing for the neighborhood. Um, and then there was this big white paper report from the National Academy of Sciences that came out in the '60s that said there was an increase in morbidity and mortality from inadequate ambulance services. Basically, we could be saving more lives if communities just had a decent ambulance mm. instead of having to rely on whoever. Not knocking the funeral homes, just acknowledging that like this is not what they should be doing. And after that white paper report the emts 
became a thing, emergency medical technician, you know, the whole idea that we need people who are trained to do this came into being and higher standards for what an ambulance could be. And so it was actually good for the funeral homes because they they didn't want to disappoint and let down the communities that they'd promised to serve, but it became so cumbersome to do it that when they finally were told they couldn't anymore, it was like, well, if you insist, I guess. Right, yeah. Yeah. But like I said, in some ho- in some communities, the 70s, the 70s, they were still doing this. Wow. Um, what followed along with this is obviously advances in what we could do in an ambulance. Mm. There's no point in having an ambulance if you can't do, I mean, like if it's just a car to drive you to the hospital. Right. But with the, you know, improvements in CPR and pre-hospital patient care and like the development of portable oxygen, you know, and all kinds of medications we can administer and fluids and everything we can do in the back of an ambulance. Once we developed that, it made more sense to have vehicles that could accommodate it and personnel that could staff it. Mm -hmm. Um, So medical care really necessitate you know once we could do these things then we necessitated the development of better ambulances and now if if you've been in the back of an ambulance you know it's like a mini hospital Uh, yeah right and you you have to have people who know what they're doing to staff them you couldn't just have anybody who had a car Um, what's interesting about this currently is that and then this would not replace the ambulance service but uh, car services like uber and lyft are getting into the medical transport business you may have seen, there was a big article about how Uber's doing this. This just came out a, a few weeks ago, I think. Mm-hmm. Uber is is now offering to charge doctor's offices uh, to go get patients and bring them to their appointments. Mm-hmm. So it's free to the patient. Um, the doctors and, pick up the tab. Exactly. And you might wonder why would they do that? Because it's cheaper to pay for an Uber ride than it is to lose that appointment slot the money that the office loses by having like a no-show in that slot mm-hmm. is way more than it would cost to just send the Uber driver out and get them. I like the no-shows though, because it means that you could might have like 10 minutes to eat lunch. So <laughs> that would be great. That's true. Those no-shows are how I eat breakfast and lunch. They're the only reason I ever get to drink coffee or pee. Um, and also for those of us who have to pump at work, uh, sometimes lunch breaks and no-shows are the only times you get to... Keep those no-shows coming. Folks, to, right I mean, now, book milk. an appointment with your doctor you do <laughs> no. not intend on keeping. <laughs> no, I'm not I'm not advocating that. But my, actually, my office my manager would kill me for this. Yeah. <laughs> but sometimes that's the only chance. But anyway, um, and Lyft actually was already offering the service. I did, all these articles about Uber, I didn't realize Lyft had been doing this. But, um, but they're both getting into the business. And then the thought is like, you know, for a lot of communities, like for instance, in parts of our surrounding area not in the city, but in, in the more rural parts of this area, you might wait 45 minutes for an ambulance. Yes, Sydney, but in the more rural parts of this area, <laughs> how much longer are you going to be waiting for an Uber? Well, that's fair. I'm just saying there's an opportunity here for non-emergent patients who don't actually need an ambulance, because you see that a lot. People right. who need to get to the hospital, but don't really need an ambulance, but don't have a way to get there, and they can't wait till the next day, so they use an ambulance there is a, there's an opening in here. There's a small opening for these people. And I mean, we've been doing this. We give patients taxi vouchers already. So, so this is a, an easy way, paperless, you know, I way should, to do this. I should clarify. We do have an Uber. We have, yeah. An Uber. An Uber it, slash Ted's, Lyft. Ted's Uber. He put a sign up on his car. He did. It's an Uber and a Lyft, um, whatever you need. I think we have two. We have two now. I think we might have two okay, now. Okay, well, you're covered because they can each work 12 hour shifts and cover all of Huntington. <laughs> uh, folks, that's going to do it for us. Thank you so much for listening. Um, thank you uh, for your, your continued support of our program. We certainly do appreciate it very much. Um, I wanted to mention we've got a... Um, 
uh, if you want to buy a Sawbones t-shirt, we've got a couple of them available. And that's going to be in our new merch store, which should be going live on Monday. You can go to McElroyMerch.com, and when that is working, that uh, that address will also be uh, 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 functional. And I want to say thanks to the Maximum Fun Network for having us as part of their extended family. Uh, I want to tell you we've got a new, uh, uh, two new podcasts on the Maximum Fun Network. Everything's coming up, Simpsons, the Simpsons podcast, and Jonah Radio featuring um, uh, my buddy Jonah Ray. And both of those shows are going to be um, on the Maximum Fun Network. Go to maxfun.org. Of course, you can find them on iTunes or what have you. So go go for it. And, uh, folks, that is going to do it for us for this week. Uh, so, oh, actually, I did want to mention we got a few nice gifts in the P.O. box uh, uh, yesterday that I wanted to uh, uh, thank people for. In the so, meantime, Cooper has pooped again, just in case. She has curious. pooped again, yeah. in case you're tracking that. On a, on a spreadsheet. Thank you to Sam for the book, Angie for the blankets and pillow monster, Scrappy Lynn for the doll and booties. Hanny sent uh, plenty, delicious plenty of the elder, which Sydney can drink again. Uh, Suzanne for a book called Jack's New Smile, which is about cleft palate. All proceeds from that actually go to uh, help families affected by cleft palate. So uh, uh, check that book out. Uh, Leah sent mugs. Adam sent coffee. Paul sent a book for Charlie. Kelsey sent booties and a hat. And Catherine sent books. So thank you to y'all for the uh, gifts. It's very nice. I can yeah, see our from third Charlie as well. Yeah. And uh, our third co-host has um, has uh, started to get a little grouchy. So we're going to wrap it right there. So until next time, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.